If you enjoy the LA Intergroup's Virtual Speakers Bureau podcast, consider joining over 500 OA members for our annual OA birthday party, which will be held January 17th through 19th in Los Angeles at the LAX Four Points Hotel. There's free transportation from the airport, so ditch the cold weather and join us for a wonderful weekend of OA recovery. Visit oabirthday.com for more information. Now it's time for me to qualify, and it says I should stand. Oh, just like the old place. <laughs> I feel better now. I'm, I'm Marcy. I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. And um, I'm really anxious, and I'm always really anxious whenever I lead a meeting. It doesn't matter, big meeting, little meeting. I'm always really anxious because, of course, it's all about me and um, what you will think of me and... Um, you know, what, you know, am I going to say the right things? Am I going to whatever, whatever? So um, it helps me to remember this, and so I want to start with this because it says that as an ex and as an insurance against big shotism, we can often check ourselves. So I need to check myself by remembering that I am today sober or abstinent only by the grace of God and that any success we may be having is far more his success than ours. So when I can remember that, I I can calm down and get a little bit more centered because it really isn't about me. It really is about God and um, about what God has done for me. Um, I'll start by qualifying, I guess. I've been abstaining in Overeaters Anonymous since May 1st, 2002. So that's 11 years and about six months. Um, I am a 100-pounder. I'm down um, 100 pounds from my top weight of 250 pounds. And, and you know, rigorous honesty, um, I don't really know my exact top weight. I um, was not getting on the scale. I'm looking for my pictures. Oh, I already started. See, I'm nervous. I already started sending them around. I, I wasn't getting on the scale when I was in my disease. I wasn't getting on the scale. Um, when I was really in the throes of my compulsively overeating. So 250 is kind of my best estimate. Uh, an old-timer in program looked at some pictures of me one day, and she said, honey, that's 275, you know. Uh, so, you know. And, um, and I saw this video um, the other day, um, like a video from, you know, um, before I came into program. And, and it was really a video of my kids, but I'm kind of in it peripherally. And, and my son, who's an adult now, looked at it, and he was like, Mom, damn, you were like 300 pounds. So I just don't, so I guess my point is that I don't really know. But what I do know is that when I walked into the doors of Overeaters Anonymous, my jeans were size 24, and they were tight. And today I put these jeans on, and they're size 8. And they're comfortable. Um, I, I do believe um, that physical recovery in Overeaters Anonymous is very important. Um, as a hundred pounder, I came in because my disease was manifesting physically. Um, I, I'm not a person who came in because of the vanity. You know, we talked about paying for the vanity. I came in because I was sick and. Um, my overeating and my weight was killing me. Um, I came in because I was having serious medical problems. And um, like in the thing, it says, 
this is supposed to help you in the form that it says it's supposed to help you if you have an eating problem. And when I read that, I thought, I, I didn't really have an eating problem. I ate really well. I, I could do that. I could do that perfectly. I could have taught classes in eating, but, but I had a, a problem in stopping. You know, I couldn't stop. And it seems to me, when I look back, that the harder I tried to stop overeating, the harder I tried to stop eating foods that I knew were problematic for me, the worse I got. Like, the more effort I put into stopping, the worse it got. And I was just caught up in this, I don't know, vicious circle of food, waking up with a firm determination to change and then, you know, right back into the food immediately. Like, it seems to me like looking back that every morning I woke up, today is going to be the day, you know. Today is going to be the day that it's going to be different. I'm going to drink lemon juice all day. And by tonight, I will lose 50 pounds. <laughs> this, was, this was really how I thought. Like, you know, I mean, I really had complete insanity around food, diet, weight, just, you know, it, it was completely insane. And so every day it seems like I woke up with this firm determination, it's going to be different, I'm going to stop. And, you know, by 8 o'clock, uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> it, it was, you know, it was on. And the car drew, drove, you know, of its own accord to my favorite hamburger stand where I started most days with a chili cheeseburger, extra cheese, extra chili. And then I had to stop for a Danish, you know, and a sweet, creamy drink. And, you know, and, and, and then, you know, all throughout the day, I ate. I ate at my desk. I ate in my car on the way home from work. I'd get home from work and I'd say to my partner, I'm starving. I haven't eaten all day. You know, I'm starved. And, you know, and, and, and I would eat until it was time to go to bed. Um, so dishonesty was also like a really big part of my disease. Like I, I just was a big liar, not only to other people, but mostly to myself. I really lied to myself about the quantities that I ate, you know, and I would say, I don't know why I'm getting so big. I don't know why I'm gaining so much weight. You know, it really shouldn't be, you know. I had that salad, you know. I mean, really, like, just a real dishonesty. Hey, Riva, so good to see you. Um, I just had real dishonesty. I lied to myself about myself. Um, and I learned when I came into here that I had to get honest. And that's really the first step in recovery for me is to really get honest about what my problem is, you know. And in the big book it talks about that um, lack of power is my problem. Lack of power is my dilemma. And, and I believe that that's why this book, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, works for anybody who is suffering from a lack of power. You know, it doesn't matter if it's, it's power over sugar or tobacco or overeating or fried foods or alcohol or drugs or whatever. Um, thank God there's a solution that works if lack of power 
is your dilemma. Um, so, I, you know, I just got really desperate. It was really clear to me that I could not stop. And I have a real, um, I feel like it, I didn't always think it was a blessing, but I have um, the blessing in my life of people who were uh, sober members of other 12-step fellowships. And um, we had gone to Las Vegas to celebrate somebody's, I don't know, 25th year of sobriety from drugs and alcohol. And these people, there were whole, you know, it was a big crowd, and these people were sober and happy and having a ball in Las Vegas, surrounded by, you know, everything. While I was in Vegas with this group, miserable, and trying to eat my way through Las Vegas. I mean, literally, just eating my way through Vegas, you know. And that's easy to do in Vegas, you know, all the buffets. And, and something said to me, and I really believe today, that it's my, it was my higher power speaking to me, because I was really in the midst of the food, but something said, if whatever worked for these people, you know, worked for them, if they could find this degree of, like, sobriety and joy, maybe there's something that could work for you. And um, I didn't really know anyone who was abstinent in Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't really know people in OA, but I knew there was an OA. You know, I knew there was an organization called OA that was somehow based on what um, helped my friends in, in AA. And so when we got back from Vegas and everything, I made up my mind um, that I was going to find an OA meeting and, and, and go. And I remember asking um, my partner at the time, I said, I don't really get it. Like, I, I know that in AA you guys don't drink and you don't do drugs, but I don't really get, like, you know, you have to eat. So what am I going to do in OA? And, and what she said to me became my beginning abstinence and is still part of my abstinence today. So what she said was, oh, they eat three meals a day. So, you know, and, and today I know that everybody in OA doesn't eat three meals a day, that some people eat three meals and a snack. Some people, you know, I have a really good friend with really, really terrific recovery, and she eats five small meals a day because... That's what works for her. And so I know today that abstinence is not three meals a day. But that's what she said to me, and somehow that just clicked. And um, on the morning of May 1st, 2002, it was a Wednesday morning, I woke up and I said, today is the day I'm going to eat three meals. And um, that was the beginning of my abstinence. And um, I went to a meeting that night, and by the grace of God, I've been abstinent ever since. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about abstinence for a while. So, like I said, for me, that was the beginning of my abstinence. Um, but I believe abstinence kind of can grow or flower and change as our understanding grows. And, and that's the great thing about meetings for me. Like, when I was new, and I tell people this all the time, you know, the circumstances in my life were such that I could go to a meeting every day. My, teenage, my kids were teenagers. I, you know, I had a job where I got off at a reasonable time, and my circumstances were such that I went to a meeting every day for like my first two years um, in OA, and I heard so much good stuff, and and so I would hear things, um, and they would kind of sink in, you know. So I heard some people talk, of course, about recreational sugar and no sugar and stuff, 
and that became part of my abstinence. You know, it was really clear to me I had a problem with sugar. I could go on and on and on about my relationship with sugar. Um, so that was really clear to me early on. So no recreational sugar became part of my abstinence. And I heard people say that when they went to like a buffet or a family meal that they had a one-plate rule, you know, one plate of food. And that became part of my abstinence. And I heard people say no second helpings, which I guess is kind of the same, but it became part of my abstinence. And, um, you know, it became clear to me, for me, that, that all of those things were not going to be enough. You know, that I'm a real compulsive overeater, and I could binge on sugar-free stuff, or I could make a mountain of a plate and, and still say I was abstinent. Um, you know, I could, uh, you know, I, I, because I'm sick, you know, and because I'm a real compulsive reader. So for me, the real bottom line of my abstinence is that I refrain from compulsively overeating. It's just not an option for me. So, you know, I weigh and measure most things. I eyeball things when weigh and measuring is not possible. I have a food plan that I report. Uh, to my sponsor on a daily basis and I abstain from making unnecessary changes to the plan that I have for the day. Um, there's a lady in the program named Kaya and she always says I plan what I eat and I eat what I plan and, and that really resonates for me. You know, I plan what I eat at night before I go to bed um, with the help of my higher power, I report that plan to my sponsor, and I don't make unnecessary changes to that plan. Um, and that's part of abstinence for me. And that's, I think, been what's really helpful for me in terms of physical recovery. Because for me, like a salad can be an option, but then nachos, you know, could, could be a better option, you know, in the, in the midst of things, you know, when I'm making those quick, impulsive changes. And that's just for me. Some people really, you know, I sponsor people and some people can eat the same thing every day and they don't seem to have that issue with impulsivity. But I'm real impulsive, you know, and I work at a place where, I don't know, we must have deliveries from 20 really great restaurants. I work literally right down the street from here. And, um, you know, there's lots of deliveries. And so when my coworker says, well, hey, let's order Thai today, is Thai abstinent for me? Sure it is. But that impulsivity is not good for me. It's not abstinent for me. So I'll say to my coworker, I can't do Thai today, but if you want to, we could plan Thai. You know, and for me, that just works. For me, that's a big part of abstinence. And, you know, I think... The thing for me about Overeaters Anonymous, one thing that I really, really appreciate is this ability to frame and define and come to our own understanding of abstinence, you know, so that my way may not work for everybody. It's my way. And um, with the help of God and with my sponsor, um, I've come to my way, and my way is what works for me. Um, for me, abstinence means that I'm maintaining um, a normal body weight, you know, it's important for me. So um, I have found what works for me today. You know, maybe tomorrow something else will be added. I don't know. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't suggest framing your abstinence just on your own. I suggest working with a sponsor to do that. 
I think uh, me and food or food planning alone look out, you know. And, and you know, and, and I guess some people could say, well, I just do it with God. But that's the other thing to me, like me and God alone, it's, it's not enough because I will rationalize shit into whatever. You know, I'll say, well, God told me, you know, God, God, God told me that birthday cake could come back on my abstinence because, you know, after all, I've been around 11 years and I look normal and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So God said it was okay. So I got to run my ideas by another person on this path with me. I've got to run my ideas by another abstaining member of Overeaters Anonymous, by my sponsor, or by another trusted fellow in this in this program. I can't do stuff on my own. Um, and and um, that's a big part of, of step three for me. And I guess I'll, maybe I'll spend the rest of the time talking about the steps because I know we have questions. So if I left something out, you'll ask me. But... Um, for me, the other, the other benefit of going to all those meetings when I was new, the other benefit was that I heard over and over the 12 steps. They're read in almost every meeting. People talk about them in almost every meeting. Hey, Jack. Um, people talk about them all the time. So it became really clear to this, you know, broken brain that the steps were somehow important, you know. <laughs> um, and so, and, and I, just kind of quickly was thrown in by the sponsor I had at the time. I was thrown into a workshop where we worked the 12 steps together um, as a group, and we do it over and over and over, and, and I'm still doing that today, 11 years later. Um, it takes about a year. Um, we go through the steps together as a group, uh, do four steps together, fifth steps, you know, um, and... The, the, the 12 steps are really the foundation for my recovery. I don't believe we can recover in in, um, in this fellowship without the 12 steps. I believe the 12 steps are the program of recovery. Meetings are great. The tools are great. Um, you know, fellowship is wonderful. Service is wonderful. Making phone calls, great. All of that stuff is wonderful. But the 12 steps are what will give us recovery. And so, like I said... I got thrown into this workshop where we wrote the 12 steps the way they're outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm just really, really grateful for that. And so, um, you know, talk about the steps for the rest of the time that I have. So step three for me really is about making this decision that I'm going to turn my thinking and my actions over to the care of whatever higher power I understand at the time. And because my higher power doesn't like talk to me clearly and because I can rationalize what I think my higher power might be saying, I, I check in with other people a lot about major decisions, about food decisions and other life decisions. I got divorced in program about six years ago and I talked that over with the sponsor. You know, I didn't just do that without talking it over. And, um, you know, in, I, I, inventorying, really looking at who and what I really am, um, and then sharing that, sharing the nature of my defects with another compulsive overreader continually is really important. She gave me five minutes, so I'll try to do it fast. And six and seven, I've been focusing a lot on six and seven lately because I really understand those steps to be the steps 
by which, by which I am continually changed. And, and they're kind of the most difficult steps for me to understand and to practice, but um, really uh, letting God in to change me and really being aware of my character defects and asking God to work with me on those and practicing the opposite has really been key for me. And, um, you know, making amends, they're scary, they're hard, but if you're struggling with making an amends, the relief that comes after you do that is, is so great. So, you know, eight and nine are just um, pivotal for me, too. Like, I don't know, I can't think of, like, one step that's more important than the other. They're all important. The program is what's important. So, you know, some people say 10, 11, and 12 are, like, maintenance steps. But for me, those steps are the steps by which I grow, by which I get closer to my higher power, by which I um, become more understanding of, of my fellows. I become more effective in practicing the program, you know, 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis um, are really key for me. Is my time up? I, I sponsor, three minutes, I sponsor um, people, and, and for me, sponsorship means carrying the message that's in the big book. Um, I think if you ask anybody that I sponsor, that's what I try to do. I try to share uh, what I have done to recover and not to tell them what to do to recover. I try to share, not tell. And that's kind of the golden rule for me. Um, um, I know I hear people say, well, my sponsor said or my sponsor told me I have to do this. I really try to avoid that. I really try to share, this is what I did to recover. And if you want what I have, maybe you'll want to try that, you know. But um, I try not to make it a, a power dynamic because, you know, I'm really good at that kind of stuff and thinking that, that I can, you know, run the world and tell people what to do. So I think my time is up, and I think we have questions and answers. So please, if I left something out, ask me. Thanks for letting me see. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not, you need not identify yourself. We are being recorded. Um, please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And um, I'm going to restate your question after you ask it for, for clarity for the recording. Question. Hi. Thank you so much, Nancy. I was wondering, you mentioned when you became absent, I was wondering if you were in overreaching before that, if you've had any relapse. So the question is whether I had any experience with relapse or whether I was in over a year. No. I became abstinent on the day that I walked, on the morning of the day that I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. So I woke up that morning with a decision to be abstinent as I understood it at that time, and I went to a 7 o'clock in the evening meeting, and I abstained for that day, and um, I have not had experience with relapse, you know, by the grace of my higher power. Thank you. Hi. Back in the back. Thank you. So, 
I'll try to repeat it. These questions are hard to repeat. So um, in the beginning, the question is in the beginning, I had lots of time to go to lots of meetings. And has that changed for me after 11 years? And if it has changed, how has that affected me? So um, circumstances still allow me to go to a lot of meetings if I choose to. Um, but circumstances have changed in that I'm sponsoring a lot of people now. So um, I don't go to as many meetings of the fellowship, but I meet with people that I sponsor on a one-to-one -one basis, and so that has taken away a little bit from meetings. Um, and, you know, also my partner and I started a business, so I'm a little bit busier with that. Um, and, and, you know, um, but I still, I still go to meetings regularly. My commitment at this time, I think commitment is really important to, to make a commitment around meetings and then kick, stick to it for me. So my commitment is at this time is two meetings a week um, and phone calls and connection with sponsees and my sponsor every day. Um, and that for me has worked, you know, has served me well for um, physical, emotional, and mental recovery for today. But at any moment, if it changes and I need more meetings, I pray that I'll be honest enough to, to get my butt to a meeting, you know. But two is working well today. Hi. So the question is about my morning routine. And um, I'm a person who likes ritual a lot. So what I share may not work for other people. It just really um, works well for me. I really like mornings and I like ritual. So I wake up really early so that I can do these things and that may, you know, like I say, I, I really believe like what it says in the 12 and 12 that in the light of our own circumstances we develop willingness to do what we need to do. So this is what I do though. So I wake up about 5.30 and um, I say the first three steps and um, I have a bunch of stuff that I like to read in the morning, a bunch of spiritual books, 12 step books and, and you know, OA stuff. and. There's a really great lady in, in program who sends out emails every day, like meditation emails, and I get those, and I read those in the morning, and, um, and I do some of this with my coffee and my breakfast and some of this before I eat. Um, and then the mornings are the time when I connect with my sponsees. So every day, they probably get sick of it, I don't know, but every day I... Um, I find something that I think is helpful, you know, something about recovery, something from the book, big book, or some, something inspirational that I think is helpful, and I send that to my sponsees every day. Um, sometimes I give them a writing assignment. Um, if a lot of my sponsees email me, so I answer them in the mornings. All of this is part of the morning ritual. Um, I also in the mornings um, do a formal prayer ritual um, that's part of my own spiritual practice. So I do that in the morning. Um, and um, I usually make and receive phone calls in the morning. Um, several of my sponsees call me in the mornings and I usually will make a call in the morning to somebody. Um, and, I, and another thing that's important for me, and again it's just me, but I, I walk in the mornings. So it kind of takes a lot of time, so I get up uh, early enough to do all that. But I find that it's really valuable for me in, in making my, my day go well. Um, 
I say the seven step prayer is part of my prayer ritual. Um, I meditate on, uh, people call it the 11 step prayer, the St. Francis prayer. I meditate on that prayer as part of my morning ritual. Um, and I think that's pretty much everything. And it just serves me well. I'm a morning person, so it, it works for me. Thank you. Hi, Michael. It's up to you. I'm not running the show. I'm not running the show. <laughs> but I think there's a part of me that kind of wants to graduate or something from water. Question. So um, the question is about my experience around liquids throughout the day, specifically like sugar-free chemical liquids. And I've read all the same stuff that you have read about the cancer and stuff like that. And And so for me, like... In some things, like, you know, like I can't moderate around recreational sugar, but I seem to be able to moderate around sugar-free stuff. So the decision I made that works for me is that I have one sugar-free drink a day. I don't like soda, and, and I do think soda might be more harmful on the scale. I don't know. That's the outside issue. But So I do the little powdery, like, you know, whatever. I don't want to go brand names, but I put powder um, in, a, in a bottle of water like this. It's, I don't know, 18 ounces, or I think. And, and I drink that once a day. Um, and the rest of the day, it's water. And um, this is tea, herbal tea. And that's, I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's helpful, but herbal tea, I've never read anything bad about it. And it does flavor the water, but it also has health benefits. So I just put the herbal tea in cold water, and it kind of makes like an iced tea. And that seems to work for me. And I do drink a lot of liquid throughout the day, a lot of water throughout the day. But anything other than the the water and the sugar-free stuff, I have to count as part of my food plan. So, you know. Oh, good question. Health issues in abstinence. So, yeah, I actually have. That's funny you ask. Um, I, you know, I'm 58 years old, so um, I don't know. You know, you start having health issues. Maybe not everybody, but I certainly have. Um, and, and, and I had a lot of, my, my, my old sponsor calls them like scars, you know, from, from the years of abuse. Um, I have a lot of cervical spine and lower back stuff which probably is the result of carrying 100 pounds excess weight for 30 years or something. So those things continue to be challenges. Um, I've had my back go out in recovery. Um, that's probably the most serious thing. I, I had like a little minor surgery in recovery, and I've had procedures where you had to like fast and stuff. Um, and. And I've been able to abstain through all of those things by the grace of God. Um, and, um, you know, it looked different, though, because sometimes it looks like way less food because when you're in pain, you don't want to eat. So I'm always like, oh, maybe I'll lose some weight, you know. So that's more like the crazy thinking, like, oh, great, you know, I'm on morphine. I'm not eating. Gee, maybe I'll lose some weight. So I don't think, I don't really think that's what recovery looks like, but that's, that's the truth, you know. That's, that's me. That's my crazy head. 
but it, it hasn't, you know, the physical challenges have not affected my recovery in an in a adverse way, except for that kind of crazy thinking. Um, you know, and gratefully, gratefully nothing has been too challenging, you know, but the, the back and the cervical spine stuff is the worst stuff. Before program, I had to have cervical spine surgery. I actually had to have like a spinal fusion and stuff because, you know, when you carry a lot of weight, it does a lot of damage to your body, you know. So, um, so I hope that answers that question. And I just still try to, I'm sorry, I just, I still try to really, um, maintain my program practices as much as I could through the challenge, you know, like even if I couldn't get up to pray and meditate, at least I'd do it in the bed, you know, like that. Carol? Have I had a crisis in faith? No, thankfully, um, thankfully not yet, um, you know, maybe <laughs> one day, you know, ask me in five years. But no, thankfully, I haven't yet. Riva. Riva. Sorry, I'm not supposed to even say names, though. Thank you. That's a really good question. Um, the question is looking, if I could look down at myself the way I was before and the way I am now, how am I different? And do I feel I have serenity and peace? And yes, I, I really am a really different person today. Um, I think I still have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety issues, you know, um, a lot of like worry, worry, anxiety kind of stuff. And that has not changed, but I used to have a lot of rage stuff, anger stuff, conflict with other people stuff. That stuff has changed a lot. So I have a lot more serenity and peace in relationships, um, especially like at work. I'll give a, a story for an example. Maybe it'll help. So um, I've worked on the same job for like 30 years. And um, so there's this patient that has been coming in for like 30 years. She came in one day. She's like, oh, my God, Marcy, you've changed so much. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I get used to that because of the weight loss, right? Like, you know, I think, oh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I lost a little weight, yeah. You know, whatever, to the lady. And she was like, no, you were such a bitch. <laughs> like, I mean, literally, this is a true story. She said, what happened to you? And so, <laughs> you know. I think I really have changed. Like, that was really evidence for me of, like, you know, I just used to be, like, retaliatory in weird kind of ways, you know. So I work in, you know, I work in a doctor's office, and so, like, if, if I didn't like you, I was really mean, I'd make you wait for your appointment. I would just, just you know, and I've, I've inventoried that stuff. So I know, you know, and I've made amends where I could for that stuff. I would always be in battles with my coworkers, with my bosses, you know, and that stuff is really changed, you know, so slowly but surely, progress far, far, far from perfection, but, you know, yes, by the steps and the grace of God, I really have changed, I don't think I'm, I'm I don't think I'm that bitch anymore today, I really don't, and, and she didn't think so, so it was my fair <laughs> confirmation, is that my time, okay, that's fine, <laughs> thank you.